episode is brought to you by Habit Aware. If you follow me on social media, you may have seen me wearing a watch with a lilac colored band. That's a keen too, and it's much more than a watch. It's a life changer. I've had trichotillomania for 22 years, and I always thought of myself as a conscious puller. But when I started wearing the keen too, I realized that was not the case. The keen two's motion sensing technology gives my wrist a gentle vibration or hug every time my hand reaches for my hair bringing me to awareness so that I can make a different choice. Start bringing awareness into your life by going to barbaralally.com slash habitaware. This is Sandy's second time on Trick Talks. You can listen to her previous episode from July 12th, 2022 on any podcast streaming service. So what has been up since the last time you were on the show? It has been a very busy year. I can't believe it's been a year since you and I did this. It felt like much shorter. So last January 2022 was when I went officially full-time private practice for the first time ever. And when we met, I think that was what was going on. Since then, I've hired several associates to work with me in my practice. They are phenomenal. I have gotten so lucky because I think what I do requires kind of like a special combination because I am a private practitioner who specializes in kids, teens, and young adults, which is like a challenging population as it is. But then I also offer the mobile therapy where where we go to the homes. And not everybody wants to do that because it just adds like another layer of dynamics and another layer of just like logistics. But I've just gotten so lucky. I have these two amazing associates who work with me now. We all got headshots taken. So I have like a updated website, which I love. I've spoken at a couple of schools and done a couple of free community presentations for different things in the field, which we can talk about. And I published my first book. So a lot of great things. Tell me more about the speaking engagements you've done. They've been so cool. So I have a couple grade schools, well, you know, elementary schools. We call them grade schools in the Philly Catholic school world, but I've I've learned not everybody calls them that. So I have a couple grade schools in my network and a couple high schools who have asked me to come and give presentations to either the student body, the staff, or the parents. I've done a couple like home and school nights. I've actually spoken at my own children's schools, home and school night as well. I I get like 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And then I have a question and answer period where I do like a, they used to be called PowerPoints. Now they're called slide deck. I have to learn all this new lingo for my kids I work with who all think I'm old. And I do like a presentation on different topics like social media and mental health, online bullying, Early on in like 2022, there was a lot more of the impact of COVID on mental health and academics and things like that. I do a ton on social media stuff, just like the impact of social media, how to talk to your kids about social media, things as simple as like 
filters and, you know, people on Instagram are posting their personal highlight reel and that kind of stuff, but also more in-depth things, just like the studies that have been done about, you know, the, the number of hours you spend on social media directly correlate with the amount of depression a person experiences. And that is even more significant when you're young. Speaking of social media, you're huge on TikTok. You've gone mega viral. Your TikTok shop is sold out. How has that been going? The TikTok thing is crazy because I, you know, we all post for fun and there's lots of little trends. And then I had one video go like insanely viral. I got like 12 million views. That's crazy, right? To be completely honest, I rode the wave as long as I could. My videos are now much more of an average viewership because I think it's like an algorithm thing. And I just don't, I can't, I could, but I don't post like 17 times a day. And I truly, I have a little bit of a hard time coming up with like original content on there. I feel like I can do the trends because they're like easy sounds and things, but like people who just like sit and talk to the camera, they're the ones I enjoy watching, the, the mental health professionals who do that. But it's hard for me to come up with like a bunch of things to talk about every day. So, you know, I do what I can. It is fun. It increases my just like online presence, my online engagement. I think it like normalizes therapy to an extent, which I think is really cool. People ask me questions on there, which I'm, it's fun to be able to answer. And it has helped me promote my workbook a little bit. I wanted to save it, but I'm just too excited. Let's talk about your book. Your session is over. Now what? Barb, it's going to sound like I'm... <laughs> Like I'm making this up for your personal podcast, but I promised you that I'm not, <laughs> but it is going to sound like that. Okay. When I first started out as a therapist, what everybody was doing was just like Googling worksheets. And then we would just like take them from websites and print them out and use them in, in sessions. And we would just keep like these massive folders filled with worksheets that we could just like photocopy, you know, things have progressed. And then we started doing online stuff and I was looking for ones I could like send my clients. But because of the population I work with, sometimes I just felt like there were ones for very young kids and there were ones for adults, but I couldn't find ones that were exactly what I wanted to do with my like middle ground kids. And I kept like making my own or like making tweaks to other people's and emailing them to my client or giving them to my clients in person once I got back into the swing of seeing people in person post-quarantine. And then I started emailing them or their parents, depending on their age, like a little summary of the day and what their homework was going to be. And then I was like, I just feel like there should be like a standardized way of doing this. And first I was looking for one. And then I was like, wait a minute. I feel like I could just like do this myself. And honestly, this is the part that sounds made up. I was like, Barb published a book, not like you're like, just like a normal person, but you know what I mean? Like you're, you're a normal person. I'm like, okay, so normal people can publish books. You were like the first person I knew who did it. And I went to graduate school with, do you know, on Instagram, the anxiety healer, Alison Sepinara, she's got like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. And she published a book as well. And I was like, okay, I think I can probably do this. So I did. <laughs> I compiled all the worksheets I had already been using. And then I did some like research and I, I made a bunch more. And then I wrote these little like blurbs about like the sections and how to use them. And basically just like put together everything I would want a client to kind of like learn while they're in therapy 
and places where they can like jot things down and things that I ask them to practice. And now I give it to all my clients on their first session and they bring it to session a lot of the time. And we go through like what they wrote about last session and what they wanted to talk about this session. And it just keeps them organized and it helps me structure things. And I am really proud of it. This book is something I would have loved as a child. Often after therapy, I would forget my homework assignments, but this would have solved that problem. Yeah, that was kind of the idea. Like, you know how you go into therapy? Because of course, therapists, like it's a big push that all therapists have gone to therapy. That way we kind of like have our own stuff sorted out. We're not projecting our own unresolved issues onto our clients. And just so we know what it feels like to be in that chair. And you know, like it can get emotional and it can get intense. And then you leave and you're like, huh. <laughs> what did I say? Or, or like, what did she say? Like, I don't even remember the feedback, right? And a lot of times, like my clients, their parents aren't in the room, but then the parents want to know like what they're supposed to practice or like what they talked about a little bit, like within, you know, within confidentiality guidelines and things like that. But the kids are like, yeah, you can tell my mom, but I want the kids to be empowered to tell their parents or their guardians or like their involved adult. And like without writing it down, I just think they have a hard time communicating it, especially the younger kiddos, you know, but it's good for them to be able to say like, here's what we did. Here's what I learned about myself. Here's what I'm going to practice this week. I think it makes them feel like empowered and it makes them feel capable. And then their parents aren't like telling them what to do. It's kind of like them asserting themselves and like taking care of themselves. I often see in movies or TV shows, people looking at their therapist taking notes during their session and saying things like, hey, what are you writing? What's nice about your book is that it gives your clients the opportunity to take notes too. That this is very much like a partnership and there's no need to worry about feeling judged or whatever idea you may have about working with a therapist. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, actually. Like that idea of like, we're both taking notes at the same time. Because I love that phrasing. I'm probably going to steal it. I think of therapy as like a partnership and it's supposed to be ideally it's supposed to be like we are doing the work together like the therapist is never supposed to be imposing her goals on you or telling you what to do with your life it's not advice giving etc um, a lot of my clients take notes like they take notes all week before we see each other which is so cool they'll like pull out their phone or they're, now they pull out their workbook sometimes and they'll be like, here's what I wrote down for the week. And I just want to kind of walk you through what my week looked like. And a lot of them take notes during session, which is funny because sometimes they'll be like, wait, say that again. And I'm like, oh no, what are you writing? <laughs> what are you writing about me? Because I just like clients feel, I feel like that as a therapist sometimes like, oh, I hope what I said made sense because now they're writing it down. <laughs> when you were compiling the book, was there a part that was more challenging for you? I think it actually came pretty naturally because it really is what I do in most sessions. If you like read through it, there's really nothing like groundbreaking. I don't mean that in like a derogatory sense toward myself, but it's, it's really, it's like based in cognitive behavioral therapy and strength-based counseling. And I'm very client centered. So like, that's really what the exercises and the prompts are all about. I think if I had to choose something that felt a little harder, it's each section has like a page where I explain why I included the prompts or the worksheets or whatever. And that was probably the hardest part because 
sometimes I talk about this stuff so much, it becomes second nature to me. And it's a challenge to go back and have to kind of like start from square one and be like, here's the reason why it might be important to learn about X, Y, Z, right? Because like, to me, it's like, of course that's important. But I had to kind of put myself in the position of like a parent or a client who's never done this before and like answer those questions without a human person in front of me asking them. My job, I'm always responding to people. I'm never just like monologuing. Your book is perfect for the age group intended, and from my perspective, the age of onset for people with BFRBs is around 9 to 13, which is also the age for the book. So I think it would have been perfect for me growing up, especially looking at this beautiful and lengthy habit tracker. I would have loved to try this and have conversations with myself that I wasn't having at the time. I think things were probably, I mean, what what was that, like 15 years ago for you? Like, yeah, it's different now. (laughs) for sure. And I mean, it's not like it was like 50 years ago, but like 20 years ago, things were not as well understood for sure. And there were definitely still some behaviors that I think like professionally were thought of as like bad habits versus symptoms, you know, or like versus their own diagnosis specifically. But yes, anybody can use it. It's intended for like the younger population because that's who I work with. So I kind of like geared it toward the people I was going to use. When you mentioned like it looks appealing, I will say it was all created in color. But then when I went to get it published, the publishing costs to publish it in color are so expensive. And I wanted it to be affordable. Like I'm not going to charge $50 for a workbook. No one's going to buy it. And then nobody has access to it. So yeah, I would have liked it to be in color. It is black and white. It does the same thing. When you work with clients who have specific thoughts or behaviors that they want to do, is there a certain activity that they gravitate more towards? Maybe one that helps in the moment? Yes, absolutely. So my favorite, probably my favorite all-time thing to teach people is changing my thoughts. So like that is like one of the first things I teach everybody. And then yes, the CBT triangle. They're like my two favorite things. I think anybody can understand the CBT triangle. Like I teach that to five-year-olds, literally. And the way I break it down is super, super simple. And they start using it like that day. And I always have them do an example that is like not emotionally charged. So usually we'll do like a very simple thing that's like no big deal. And I'll give an example from like my life that's like understandable for a little kid. And then they'll give one from their life that's probably a little more emotionally charged. So then they've like done it three times. So like my classic one for to teach the CBT triangle, I always say the trigger is you wake up in the morning and it's raining. And then your first thought is like, oh, I hate rain. It's going to be a terrible day. So you drag your feet and you are running late and you just like put on whatever because you don't really care and you don't do your hair or anything because it's going to get frizzy anyway. And then it turns out you are late and it is a terrible day because you're in a horrible mood from the first minute, right? So then we recognize like we can't change the trigger of the rain, but if you change that thought and you tell yourself like, I don't like rain, so I'm going to do some things to control the rest of my day. So you put on your favorite outfit and you pack a hot soup for lunch and you plan a movie and a 
cuddly blanket for after you get home from school. Right now, there's a new behavior. Like we're, we're feeling a little more positive. We still don't like the rain, but we have some things we can control, right? And people love a sense of control. I mean, anxiety, depression, like they are driven by a lack of control over things. And so identifying pieces where like little moments in our lives where we have control is super empowering for clients and for anybody. I could talk about HabitAware and all of the wonderful work they do all day long. Not only does the Keen 2 bring awareness to your BFRB with gentle vibrations, it tracks your vibrations, which allows you to look at your own personal data and make informed decisions. You might be thinking, how do I see my data? Easy, by looking at the Keen 2 app. What if I need help configuring my Keen 2? Schedule a free call with someone from the HabitAware team. Looking for additional support and or community? Join the HabitAware BFRB Change Collective. Start your journey with HabitAware by going to barbaralally.com slash HabitAware today. You have a part at the end of your book that talks about finishing therapy. What made you decide to include that? There are different reasons people go to therapy, right? And there are different populations that go to therapy. And so I'll give you the spiel that I always give my clients and or their parents. I always talk about their parents because of the kid. I work with people who are young and under age 14 in Pennsylvania, you can't consent to your own treatment. So the parents are at least somewhat involved. I tell them there are people who go to therapy across the course of their whole entire lives for various reasons, right? Sometimes it's because they love it and they choose to maintain it. And sometimes it's because they have a lifelong struggle with something and it really helps them work on that thing through the ups and downs of life. There are other people who go to therapy for a short time and they overcome their challenge and then choose not to go back to therapy or they enter and exit therapy throughout their lives based on the ups and downs of life, the ups and downs of their diagnosis, their behaviors, et cetera. Typically, when I see like younger kids, the goal is for them to complete therapy because what we don't want is for a child to feel like no matter what you do, you're never going to succeed. You're never going to be done this. You'll never get better. And we can't make the goal, like I can't preach progress, not perfection, and then make the goal you have zero symptoms or else you can't graduate therapy, right? So my goal for them is for them to achieve their goal, which is normally not to be perfect, right? Their goal is just to feel better and to do better and to enjoy life in a better and you know more fulfilling way. And you can do that while still having some symptoms. You don't have to be in therapy because sometimes you get sad still. I mean, you can. The goal is not to never have another feeling or never have another urge to pull your hair or pick your skin or take a, a drink of alcohol if that's what you're working on. The goal is just to live your life in a way that feels healthy and fulfilling for you. I love that so much. I'm someone who pops in and out of therapy and it really works for me. I know the moments when I need to see someone and then I do and then I learn tools I can use on my own and then I just stop going. I totally feel empowered that I can be successful on my own. Yeah, exactly. And like, I really, I'm very motivated to make sure that the client does not rely on me to believe that I'm the reason they've changed. And I always tell them that, like whenever they're like, oh my gosh, you've helped me so much. Like I appreciate the feedback and I do believe I help people, but I'm always 
very firm in reminding them, like, I walk with you through this process. I make suggestions. I give you tools. I ask a lot of questions to help you think differently. But therapy is 45 minutes out of your whole entire week. You are the one implementing this stuff. You're changing your own life. I'm privileged to witness it. I help to the extent that is appropriate, but I can't live with you and make you change. You are doing that. I want you to feel that you have done that for yourself. Have you had any recent clients who had a BFRB or BFRBs? I have a bunch now. I have a few with trichotillomania specifically. I have a lot more with dermatillomania. What's funny is like none of them have ever been diagnosed. <laughs> so they come and they're like, I pick my skin. And I'm, so I just like, no, that's what it is. But th they don't. And their parents will mention it just like in passing. They'll be like, they're really anxious. They have trouble sleeping. They have this, they have this, they have this. Like, they pick their skin sometimes. And I'm like, okay, like uh, the parents recognize it is a symptom of anxiety for them, or at least it's triggered by anxiety for them. I don't think a lot of people know, like those are their own diagnoses. So I have a couple people right now, and we, we've talked a lot this summer. It's so interesting about like the triggers because mosquito bite season, these kiddos are just going to town on these scabs. I know it's a, I mean, I, I, the reason behind it, like it is a comfort to them. And it is just like a, it's almost like having a fidget in your hand, but it's hard. Like they're, you can't escape your own body and your body is a trigger, right? I often tell people who don't have BFRBs that scratching a mosquito bite until it bleeds is close to what I do. You know you're not supposed to scratch it, yet you keep going back until it bleeds and maybe even scars. You're not happy to see the blood, yet it felt so good you had a hard time stopping or couldn't stop at all. Good point. Like the people who like peel sunburn skin. And even remember when you were a kid and you had the Elmer's glue hand, everybody liked that. What are some of your favorite things to suggest to your clients with BFRBs? It's funny. I always find myself in almost every situation in therapy being like, okay, we can like attack this from two sides. There's the underlying pieces, right? Like that's like the, the cognitive and emotional piece, like how you think about things, how you react to your triggers recognizing your thought patterns, recognizing the emotions that are kind of like influencing these behaviors, right? And then there's the behavioral piece, which they're combined, but I, I like to look at them separately. So we can say like, okay, I can help you like stop doing this, but then you're just going to switch to a different behavior if we haven't dealt with the underlying problem, right? Like we can figure out a way for you to not pick anymore, but what are you going to do instead? Because if we haven't worked through and healed some of that anxiety or that depression or that obsession in your mind or whatever they're going through, you're just going to transfer. It's like transferring an addiction. Like people who stop drinking but don't replace it with any healthy behaviors are probably going to go to the AA meetings and smoke a pack of cigarettes and drink a gallon of coffee and eat seven donuts because they haven't learned how to deal with the emotional piece of it. So we will talk about both sides. Behaviorally, though, we talk a lot about like fidgets, which have become a lot more mainstream now. They're a lot more accepted in the schools. They can even get it put on their 504 plan or their IEP that they have to have fidgets accessible to them in school. 
And depending upon what's already working for the kids, I will help them kind of like expand upon that. So I have a kid who has noticed that when she, you know, you know, tack, remember blue mm-hmm. tack? Mm-hmm. So she has figured out like she likes to like put that on her hand and peel it off put that on her hand and peel it off. So like, we've kind of like expanded upon that, like giving her access to like a putty. She likes it like a little bit of a harder putty, not like a slime, you know, just like kind of identifying for her non-harmful things that she can still do that still involve her body. Because as you probably know, transferring it to like a piece of paper, we can, we can like peel stickers and things like that. But I think a lot of individuals are better served by us getting as close as we can to the behavior without choosing another damaging thing and without getting like too close also. So like to me, and this is not a judgment on individuals who might choose this. I've just, in my professional experience, drinking non-alcoholic beer is like a risky game for a lot of individuals who struggle with alcoholism because it tastes like beer You're drinking it in the environment where you would otherwise drink beer. And for a lot of people, it's going to make them want a real beer. And for me, I'm like, I'm thinking about like the tubing mascara that like comes off like eyelashes. And I'm like, isn't that, is that for you too close to pulling out your eyelashes? The way I've been successful is by trying my best to leave my eyelashes alone. So it's too close to home for me personally, but it's something I would have loved to try a few years ago. And maybe I'll even try it in the future, but for now... Probably not. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I saw a girl do it on TikTok and I was like, ooh, that looks appealing. And then I was like, I wonder though, like how that would work for something like this. It can get it like a slippery slope, right? Because something I do talk about a lot with clients is like trying to turn your unconscious choices into conscious choices and like slowing down the process between like trigger thought, feeling behavior, right? Because a lot of people will say, like, I had I had a clump in my eyelashes, so I pulled my eyelash out. But, like, we've left all the way from trigger to behavior. Like, I had a clump in my eyelashes. I had a thought. I had a feeling. I had an action, right? Like, there, there are other things that are taking place between trigger and action. But we live in such a fast-paced world, and our brains work really quickly. And individuals who struggle with different behavioral or emotional concerns, like often are in such a pattern, they're not even like consciously choosing their behaviors. They're just doing things. When you first came on, we spoke about your own BFRB, picking your lips. How has that been going? Yep, ups and downs. Oh, my whole life. I've been doing it since second grade. Ups and downs for sure. I can always identify when I'm stressed because that's often when I do it. Lots of times when I'm not, when I'm, stress, I don't do it. But when I do it, typically it's because the first time I do it is because I was stressed. Then you probably relate to this because I know your hair growth comes back in kind of curly and those are triggering pieces. So for me, when I pick it first, it's because I'm stressed. But then when it starts to heal, it's like the perfect consistency for picking. (laughs) And then it becomes like the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And I also, I don't always... I often don't use my hands. I chew this, like I bite it off. So I'll like run my tongue along the inside of my lip. And then if it's kind of rough, I just like bite that baby off. (laughs) It was real. It's been, it was really good for a while because in the summer I often get like 
there's it feels like a fever blister but I think it's actually just like damage from picking at them for years and then I go in the sun and I'll get like a very easy sunburn on my lips from like I guess the delicate skin so in the summer I was really really conscious this year of like constantly wearing SPF chapstick and trying to do better with it but I definitely you know once like beach season was over and things like that I definitely felt myself veering back into the chapped lip club my dad my whole life stop picking your lips stop picking your lip and now my husband does it don't pick your lip don't pick your lip put on some chapstick you know what helps so like talking about like replacement behaviors when I get super into like a new skincare routine or something that I find that very helpful. Like if I get into like a new lip mask at night or something, like a sugar scrub, like if I do it consistently, then my lips feel really good. And I like don't want to break the habit of that. It becomes like almost like a new healthier obsession, but the novelty wears off pretty fast. Like I, I can't keep buying like expensive lip masks from Sephora just <laughs> to stop it. <laughs> so tell us, how can we find your book? How can we find you? My handle everywhere is Therapy with Sandy, S-A-N-D-I. And my book's on Amazon. It's called Your Session is Over, Now What? It's also on the TikTok shop. I have a TikTok, also Therapy with Sandy. It's also on Etsy. And you can get it if you have Kindle Unlimited. Sometimes it's on a Kindle Unlimited sale where it's actually free and you can just like read it for free online, which is cool. What piece of advice would you give someone that they could use today? I just think it's awesome that people listen to podcasts like this now and get support from people who they have maybe never met, but like they find you to be relatable and inspirational. And it's not because you've had like, quote unquote, success at overcoming your illness, right? It's not, I'm perfect now, take my advice. The reason people find most individuals inspirational is because they continue to fight the fight and don't consider it a failure if they're not perfect. That's really it. So to me, I feel like the best thing you can do for yourself is give yourself a little bit of compassion. I always say progress, not perfection. And to look at every day as like an opportunity for learning, even the days that aren't so great, they're just like an opportunity to learn more about yourself. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Trick Talks. Did you know that I offer an online Trichotillomania-focused course? My course is called Sharing Our Stories. As a gift to you, please use promo code TRICKTALKS25 to receive 25% off the five-session package. You can access this promotion at barbaralally.com. <laughs>